backroom politics. Good afternoon out there in Radio Land. It's Tuesday, which means it is time for the best political talk show you've never heard of. It's Tuesday. That means it's time for backroom politics live from Washington, D.C. and elsewhere about the globe as we may be. It is a remote show. We're not broadcasting for the press club this week as I have been out on travel. Uh, believe joining me as they do every Tuesday, or at least one that is joining me as he does every Tuesday. He is the former Biden political operative that we also know as a bar certified attorney in the great state of Maryland and the District of Columbia. He is longtime political insider Daniel Lipner Esquire. Hello, Daniel. Hello, Justin. I'm glad to see that we have better customer service than United. That's true, although not better audio than United. You sound like a robot, dude. <laughs> if nope, you really still want not the robot, that's the robot. And now, and now we've got Echo from you, too. <laughs> this gets better and better. Hey, uh, Admiral Ken will be joining us here shortly, and we'll introduce him properly. But for those of you who have not paid attention or cared, uh, we've been gone for two weeks. So that means that we are going to take, we're going to attempt to take two weeks of just political news that we couldn't in a million years make up and try and squeeze it into this two hour span that you know as the best political talk show you've never heard of live on Blog Talk Radio. Let's get into it. Dan, I want to give you the shot. Which would you, because we have the roulette wheel of politics in here. Which would you like to start with? We can start off with the Trump policy on Syria or Trump and the Russians. Your pick. Well, considering Trump and the Russians is also Trump and Syria, I say we go for Trump, Syria, and that works for me. Okay. So in case you were living under a rock, last Friday night, or I'm sorry, last Thursday night, last Thursday night, almost a week ago, about five days ago, uh, in retaliation for what can only be considered just a brutal, heinous, cowardly attack on his civilian population there in uh, Syria, uh, the Syrian president, Bashar al-Assad, decided to take it upon himself to utilize weapons containing sarin and chlorine gas on his own civilian population. Uh, Dozens killed, many hundreds of others injured. It was just a brutal display of just total disregard for humanity. That's the only way I can put it. Uh, The word coming out of Washington is that President Donald Trump saw the videos, uh, much more graphic videos than I believe that we saw in the public of young children, young babies, gasping for air, convulsing, uh, just horrible, horrible pictures coming out of Syria. And apparently these these, uh, pictures affected the president, so much so that in counsel with his national security advisor, General McMaster's, His Secretary of Defense, General Mattis, or Secretary Mattis, we should correct that, former General Mattis, uh, and uh, in collaboration with the Joint Chiefs, the President ordered the U.S. Navy to launch, uh, at last count, 59 sea-based cruise missiles 
to attack an airfield, the airfield that apparently the gas attack originated from in Syria. Uh, depending on who you talk to, there were several deaths, uh, anywhere from the battle damage assessment that we have coming out of the Pentagon, around two or three, or if you listen to the Russians, they were saying as many as a dozen. The Syrians say a whole different number. We're still trying to get calculation on that. Now, that being said, President Trump did, in fact, take a lot of credit for the decision to go after the Syrians and the airfield. Uh, it is what many people are calling calculated. It was tactical. It was a show of force that was measured, if you will. Dan, looking at all the picture on this, Donald Trump, whether you're a fan or not, Donald Trump looked and acted presidential in this decision. Would you agree? Uh, well, a couple of things on that. Um, Dan Rather actually made an interesting point about saying we need to stop calling the president using military force looking presidential uh, because it has a tendency to misidentify um, what we see as the presidency. There are a lot of things, and it shouldn't simply be the use of the military that defines you as presidential. That said, I do actually agree with Donald Trump's use of uh, of the U.S. military in response to the chemical weapons attack. Uh, unfortunately, Alan is not here to make fun of me since I've actually agreed with then-candidate Trump of wanting nothing to do with Syria and now President Trump for a measured response. Hey, Dan, problem Yo. Dan, need you to call in because the mic is not working, bro. <laughs> it's really, okay. it's really bad. Call, call in if you can. You have the number? I do not. I'm going to give it to you because at this time, I'm also going to open up the switchboards. If you want to call and join the discussion and join us, you can dial in at 657-383-0419. Again, that number is 657-383-0419. Dan, I'm going to, while you're calling back in, I want to respond to something you said about uh, Donald Trump and the comment uh, about him looking presidential. But uh, call in while I'm going off on that. Here, here's my take on this. Is I, I heard the comments of, of Dan Rather and that we should stop saying it, he looks presidential. He acted in a presidential manner. He, here's why I disagree with Dan Rather. One of the hardest one of the hardest decisions that a commander-in-chief has to make or any battle commander has to make, the hardest decision that a president, a civilian president, has to make in his duties as commander-in-chief, I believe, is the use of military force on another country that, in fact, could knowingly cause loss of life. And I believe, and I believe that's Dan. Dan, you with me? I am indeed with you. Much better, much better. So going back to my point is, I hear what Dan Rather's saying, but what, what Donald Trump did was, a, was probably the hardest thing he has to do as president. So I think that Donald Trump in itself 
acted presidential. I think he looked presidential. I don't think it's anything that we would just stand up and have a line of cheerleaders and Marquette celebrate because nobody, let alone a president, ever wants to put out a an order that what he did, make no mistake about it, was very presidential. Is that accurate, Dan? No, but that's the problem because there's a lot more to it, and that's what we've seen the shakeup since the, the missile attack. We have no idea what our policy is on Syria. You've had Nikki Haley saying our policy is some, one thing. You've had Secretary Tillerson say something else entirely. Secretary Mattis is simply stuck with the strategic response um, of the success of the attack, even though that in itself is in question, since, as I understand it, less than 12 hours after the attack, the, the same airbase was back in full operation afterwards. So it's unclear exactly what the larger win is. Is it simply you may do whatever you want to your population, just don't use chemical weapons? Is it something further that, as Secretary, uh, me, as Ambassador Haley has suggested, that we don't see a peace in Syria unless Assad is gone? Is it what Secretary Tillerson has said that, well, you know, we, we responded to something that happened and there's nothing further to do here unless Syria acts again in an appropriate fashion? So you can't just say he acted presidential by doing the least dangerous thing for U.S. armed forces by launching Tomahawk cruise missiles. To be clear, this is unmanned an unmanned attack, which while there is some question as far as what the harm could be future attempts to U.S. forces in the region, since we do, there has been an escalation of U.S. ground forces to support some of the rebels, unclear which rebels we are now supporting, uh, in the region, in the fight against ISIS. So he did the easiest of all choices. And to be clear, I think he was appropriate to respond. But his failure at coming up with some sort of answer that is more far, far-reaching or ha- has some foresight beyond the moment of the horror that he was simply disgusted at the attack. Yeah, but Dan, here's, um, here's, that's kind Dan, of a here's worrying where, thing. That it, yeah, but Dan, here's where I disagree with you on that. I mean, to, to sit there and say that launching a cruise missile off of the USS Ross it doesn't put Americans in harm's way, I think is inaccurate and unfair to our American fighting men and women, especially those in the Navy. Uh you know, to say that what he did was, you know, was a display of not having a set policy, I would argue that Syria is so complex, it's going to be almost impossible, as it stays as fluid as it is, to actually gain a solid policy. You know, we're caught between a rock and a hard spot right now, Dan, where we have, you know, tensions with Russia. We saw the reaction of the Russian foreign minister and Vladimir Putin on this. Vladimir Putin basically came out and said this will affect American and Russian relations. 
at the same time, you've got the nuances between the start of a new Cold War with Russia by attacking Syria. If we attack Syria, do we attack Russia? We attack the support that they give to Assad. And, by the way, Syria is still their only truly warm water port in the world, so they need that port. So, you know, to sit there and say that we don't have a clear, defined policy on Syria, I don't think it's that simple, Dan. I, I would agree with you. It's not that simple. But the, pres- the fact that the president's administration has at least four different policies, per my last count, from his most senior people, mind you, his most senior people are pretty limited since he still has some 500 slots to even name for uh, Senate confirmation. Um, it's still there's still much more to it, and this president has shown zero desire to get into nuance and detail of anything, and this might be a rude awakening that he suddenly needs to figure out that. By the way, supporting anyone who's the enemy of ISIS also means supporting some bad guys. And by the way, you have some additional complications of the Turks and the Kurds and the Iraqis and various different other rebel groups that are floating around, all wanting their own interests in play. This president from the campaign, as far as I can tell, till now still has put zero effort into the details of anything, let alone what is the serious crisis. I can't believe I'm going to do this, Dan. And, and for the listeners that are listening here, I got to tell you, Dan, I'm, I'm about to defend President Trump here. I'm a little shocked I'm going to do this. The, the reality – look, everybody knows that I am not a huge fan of President Trump, okay? But I will give him some leeway. I will give him some break on the fact that this is a guy that literally got thrown into the deep end of politics, the deepest end of politics, and is literally trying he to figure jumped. his way out. He was not thrown. He jumped. Let's be clear. Okay, so, he opted okay, into so, so fine. So fine. He jumped into – the deepest end of the political pool ever. But what I will say, though, is, and where I will, you know, criticize him is, yeah, he has, it has not been pretty. Uh, he has shown an almost aloofness for wanting to realize this stuff. But I will say that I think that Syria may have been a political and presidential wake call for, for Donald Trump, and, and I'll paraphrase, Hey, Mr. President, it's time to grow up. This isn't the boardroom on a TV set. This is real deal. We'll see if the Trump Tower in Moscow is shut down, if that affects him at all. Um, And that wasn't meant to be just a snarky remark. Because this presidency is one like we have never seen, there is some legitimacy to that statement. We'll see, but as of yet, are you suggesting he Dan, has are you done, suggesting, Dan, are you suggesting that – are you calling for President Donald Trump to shut down Trump Tower in Moscow and divest his interest in Russia? That's an idea. I mean, if Vladimir Putin is as awful as Democrats and most Republicans suggest he is, 
Um, yeah, I would suggest not doing business with the, the kleptocrats that are, are in the Russian government, uh, including the prime minister and the president. Yeah, that might be an idea. But this president has said nothing but wonderful things about Vladimir Putin. So we shall see. Well, that being the case, here's the other question for you, though, Dan. From the Dems' take on it, why is it that the Dems, everybody that I've talked to, either Republican or Democrat, have agreed that the response, although measured, the response and the actions that President Trump took were uh, the beginning part of reshuffling the deck and undoing the line in the sand protocols that we had from the Obama administration. Democrats, a lot of them that I talked to, praised or at least approved of the actions that President Trump took. You put them in front of a camera, why can't they say, come out and say, do you agree and do you support the president in this missile attack on the Syrian airfield? Why? Because this is the same president that said that the Syrian refugees were not welcome in the United States, um, as well as the budget that he what put is, forth, wait, 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 which I that, think wait, did a wait, fair wait, amount wait. of cutting to any humanitarian aid. To there, there are two million Syrian refugees, many of them sitting in camps in Jordan, and the international community has been a little slow, us uh, included in offering support. This president has gone the additional step of saying Syrian refugees are not welcome here. Um, so, yeah, it's not just for launching missiles. If you want to be a humanitarian and seeing those children and women and men rising in pain, suffering under the assault of Assad, great. But what is your response? Simply to launch missiles? Are you actually going to get your hands dirty on the ground and do what's necessary to help them in their time of need while they fled this horror? Or are you simply going to stand there like a tin pot dictator, launch some missiles and say, look at what I did, and then leave behind the actual harder things that are really complicated? I mean, it's really a pity that that Alan Moore isn't on the show today since he's actually been in these kinds of camps. I don't have that same kind of authority. It is, it is a tremendously difficult thing to deal with that kind of humanitarian crisis. All right, but Dan, first of all, that could be the most hawkish thing that you have ever said, is the fact that we should be responsible for putting boots on the ground and taking broader military action in order to help out the 135 million displaced Syrians and others inside of Syria and outside of Syria, we got to put boots on the ground in order to stop the humanitarian crisis? I actually didn't say that. Ironically, the same day of the missile strikes, prior to uh, them occurring, Hillary Clinton did one of her first public appearances with the World Women's Forum. Don't quote me on that, something along those lines. Um, right, and was asked about various different issues, and she actually did a. It was a very good interview, even though I think she still didn't take full responsibility for losing the campaign. Um, she did talk about her position 
in when she was in the Obama administration as Secretary of State, her position on what the United States should have done uh, closer to the front end of the Syria crisis. Much to my frustration, while I do recall hearing this, I did not recall hearing it loudly and vocally in the press, in the media. And she said she was one of the people advocating for a no-fly zone over Syria to encompass both the Syrian military and everyone else for a couple reasons. One, it makes the playing field relatively balanced for both the people trying to overthrow Assad who are without air power, and also it allows for some security for the civilian refugees trying to escape the bloodshed and the carnage of what, the warfare wait, occurring what, in Syria. What security? Relatively what security? Simple. What do you mean, what security? What, what have, you, security? Have, you not been following, have, have you not been following the barrel bombs and the things being dropped from helicopters no, no, and hearing aircraft? Let alone the Russian aircraft that have, been, that, that, have, that have targeted not just ISIS, but also some civilian targets. I mean, the gas attack that occurred did not happen from a tank. It happened from air power. Wait a minute. But, but, but Dan... We're, you're, you're literally using safe zones as a way. It's, it's, safe zones to me are a band aid in some instances. By creating the safe zones, you're, you're right. It is a bad problem. We are talking about a war zone, but air, one of the most expensive things that we invest in in the United States is air power. And if for all my friends in the Navy, while I respect everything that you say, the the, the most important boat in any carrier group is a carrier in the middle of it because of the projection of power. And it's something that we can do that nobody else can do in the world. Air power does a great deal. And when the Assad regime has fighters, helicopters, and the ability to bomb people at will, while the revolutionaries, the the terrorists, whoever else you are talking about, simply have the weapons on their shoulder, it is a different ballgame. And the people that get caught in the middle are the civilians, the 2 million plus that have fled the war zone, and the unfortunate folks that have stuck around and were the victims of the gas attack from the Assad regime. Yeah, there is a bit of a balancing act that is at play there, and it allows for the civilians to at least leave the field of combat because at, at least you can see it coming. And hopefully Admiral Ken can jo- join us sooner because I'm sure he can chime in on the difference that error power makes in any combat zone. It's a different thing. But here's the bigger question, though. Let's, let's go back to the bigger question here. Is what does Assad have to do in – in order to either A, keep his seat as the head of state of Syria, or B, get out of Syria with his life and family? The Russians need to confiscate the Trump Tower in Moscow and say it's the new Assad residence and let him go in peace. Is that real? Yeah, no, I mean, like, as far as getting him out of there, he, the Assad family, Alawite tribe, which is an incredibly small minority, 
within the state that is Syria. The elevation of the Alawites in the region creates an impossibility for a any kind of peace, especially after this kind of atrocity. The Assad family has destroyed their country in order to remain in power. This is almost beyond dispute. It is unclear how anything can possibly go forward, especially considering the atrocities that have occurred with the Assad family anywhere in power. Yes. So yeah, but Dan, not to say the Alawites themselves don't actually deserve a, a, a place at the table. They do. But the Assad family, they have to go. And I'm in finding the most peaceful way of getting them out. Moscow seems yeah, but, nice this time of year. They can go. Yeah, but Dan, Dan, here's the problem. As long as the Russians have ships in their waters, as long as... Assad gives them a haven to put their fighter jets and give them a strategic base of option. Doesn't Putin give him overhead coverage unlike anything else in the region? Doesn't that almost guarantee he's there forever? That's part of the million-dollar question and this president at play. Um, The it, I, I'm hesitant to go really deep into this because it means rehashing the election and Vladimir Putin's issues with Hillary Clinton as Secretary of State for saying that she helped ferment the revolutionary impulses of people within Russia, even though since then there actually have been marches and, and, and activism against the kleptocracy in Russia without U.S. intervention, suggesting that maybe the Russian people had enough of the, the incredibly corrupt governance they've had in the last 12 years with Vladimir Putin at the helm since um, Boris Yeltsin left office. Right. But there's so much more that needs to be done. So the... The dealing with Putin, at that he has he has played a game of international, I don't even want intrigue, at an incredible rate. When in 2008, when he invaded Georgia, and then candidate for president John McCain, now Senator John McCain, or now just Senator John McCain, said, "We are all Georgians now," and the entire world. And much of the U.S. said, I don't know what you're talking about, except for people from Georgia that are Braves fans. The, the Russians got a pretty easy walk to the international stage say, and also to the rest of the world saying, look, the U.S. does not have your back. Putin has done a phenomenal job of playing his cards in delicate but easy situations for a large, well-trained military as the Russian military is in both Russia, in Chechnya, in South Ossetia, done a brilliant job, even in Ukraine, as far as, while I disagree and think it's horrible what he's done, at a geopolitical strategic sense, you cannot argue with the successes he's had. 
Syria has been a bit of a mess. There were Russian ground troops at one point that were pulled out since the Assad regime could not figure out how to play nice with the Russians on the ground other than the air power. This is a well, mess we do have that to nobody make, we, clearly yeah, wanted a part of other than the – go ahead. Yeah, Dan, we do have to we do have to point out the fact that yes, there are in fact Russian troops in Syria, including there including Russian troops there at the airspace that was attacked. Uh, I do want to point out that the Department of Defense in the region, our forces in the region have a special line of communication called the deconfliction phone. They literally pick up a phone and they tell the Russians, hey. Here's what's happening. In about an hour, we're going to have about 59 cruise missiles have the biggest block party at your airfield. You might want to leave. Uh, yeah, no, and without the, question, no, that, that occurred. And, and the conspiracy theorists on the left and the right, more the lefty nationalist uh, Alex Jones types on the right, all went nuts when they heard that the United States warned the Russians. Mind you, before reform informing the gang of eight and whatever the Hill group is that's supposed to be informed when national security actions occur uh, in this country. But nonetheless, those folks went insane when they found out the United States informed the Russians that these attacks were going to happen. I'm in favor of that because Russian troops getting killed by U.S. missiles escalates this to something that is probably far beyond anything that anyone is comfortable with, and that's American, Russian, or anyone else on the planet. One would argue, argue, Dan, Dan, one would argue that this thing's already escalated beyond all recognition, but real quickly, we're going to take a break. When I come back, though, you did mention something I do want to touch on. Uh, The the advise and consent role of Congress in this did the president need the approval of Congress or was he this We're going to talk about that for a little bit. When we come back, this is Backroom This is Backroom Politics, live on Blog Talk Radio. We'll be back in a few minutes. Stay with us.
This is Backroom Politics. We'll be back momentarily. Stay with us. here live in Washington, D.C. This is the best political talk show you've never heard of. It is a intimate session of backroom politics. Joining me as he does every Tuesday, he is the man that we know as Dan Lipner Esquire. Hello, Daniel. Welcome back. Hello, Justin. Glad to be here. And uh, we're going to continue discussing the situation in Syria. Uh, again, just to recap, uh, last Thursday, President Trump authorized the launching from uh, naval assets in the region, the launch of 59 cruise missiles, which went after a airfield in Syria, which is largely believed to be the originating airfield of the chemical attack that warranted such a response. That being said, uh, I want to talk to you about some of the criticism coming out of Congress right now, Dan. What, what are you opening? A bag of chips, Dan? I'm making myself a drink. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. I love live radio. Anyway, um, Dan, I want to go back to some of the criticism that many of the Democrats have, have come after President Trump about. It, it strikes me, it's a little, my opinion, is it's a little petty, it's a little hypocritical, but obviously we want to cover both sides. Uh, the Democrats are calling on the president to explain why he did not seek consent from Congress to make the move on Syria the way he did. There are many Democrats, there are several Democrats that say that he was outside the boundaries of his authority by not telling Congress he was doing this, and that Congress should be the first call he makes when he decides to make and pull the trigger on some action like this. Do you agree with that, Dan? Well, there are there are a few parts to that. So there's the War Powers Act. There's the explicit in the in the Constitution, Congress's ability to declare war, and then there's the slightly less formal, and I always forget which it is, the Gang of Ten or Gang of Eight, whatever the senior leaders of both parties and both the House and the Senate that are supposed to be informed for national security events prior, important side note, prior to them occurring, um, while not necessarily consent, at least informing 
Congress that these things are going to happen if it's something significant. And the United States bombing Syria is significant. Um, there, there are a couple items at play there. So as I understand it, the president did not inform Congress, meaning the smaller subsection, the gang of eight or gang of ten, somebody please feel free to correct me on which it is, at, that this was occurring, which is problematic to say the very least. This is Mitch McConnell, uh, Chuck Schumer, Speaker Ryan, Nancy Pelosi, uh, the heads of, I believe, the Armed Services Committees and the Intelligence Committees. Information uh, is critical considering Congress does have the power of the purse string and do, do represent the American people who are charged with paying these debts both financially and with their lives. Um, so Congress being at play seems to matter at least a smidgen. Worth noting, back when President Obama was in office, we did seek a congressional re- resolution, something that I do agree with, a congressional resolution seeking the consent of Congress for use of force in Syria to which it was responded with was deafening silence. Um, but he's not a point. As, as far as, as, far as legislative. Not, Dan, in, in the media, the, you got it. Dan, the president is not required on tactical responses such as what he did. He is not required to let Congress know. That is definitely within his powers as commander-in-chief and under the War Powers Act. That's a little less clear. This was not an attack How on the United States, on American interests, nor the American people. Where you mean to tell me, wait, 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 wait. You under, mean to tell me, does Bashar al-Assad pose a clear and present danger to national security of us and or our allies, including NATO member Turkey, close ally Israel and Egypt. That is not what I suggested. The, the question is whether or not Congress has a right and a duty to speak in this issue. I can agree entirely with the statement that you rattled off, that this is a clear national security issue. However, the imminent threat is a different beast. There were no Americans that were going to be harmed within 24, 48, 72 hours from the Assad attack on the civilians in Syria. This is, I would suggest, without dispute. Wait, 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 wait. wait. The only question is... Dan, Dan... Dan, yes. does does Bashar al is does Bashar al Assad, as head of state of Syria, in his current mindset, does he pose a clear and present danger to not only us but our allies, including Turkey and Israel? is a NATO ally, and if they choose to exercise what's it, Article 3 in the NATO treaty, um, again, don't quote me on that, the, right. they're more than welcome to, 
And that that might change the math. In which case, the NATO Security Council can make make a determination on what is required for the attack against one as an attack against all. By the way, that would include the Russian fighter that dropped bombs in Turkish territory. Let's be clear on this: um, that the Turks promptly shot down. And with Israel, while there is a friendship and a commonality of understanding, there actually is no treaty between the United States and Israel. Um, something that Israelis will point out promptly any time they take action in their own self-defense. They have no mutual defense treaty with anyone. So the president just assuming these facts in evidence is a little challenging. Okay, but here's my problem with all this, Dan, is, you know, when we talk about, you know, you mentioned NATO and it's Article 5, by the way, is what you were thinking of. The attack on one is the attack on all. Um, It is up to Turkey to invoke Article 5. To my knowledge, I don't think has ever been invoked. Incorrect. That, it actually has been invoked once. It was invoked when? after September 11th. Okay. Yes. All right. That's true. I forgot about that. That which is, is true. Which, which, which is which is why the response in Afghanistan was an international response. Right. There are Danes. Right. There are Swedes, and I believe there's a couple Icelandic troops in in Afghanistan for no other reason than it is considered to be a NATO response. Right. But anyway, let me get back to let me get back to what's going on here. Is as long as as long as Bashar al-Shar is in power, as long as Assad is allowed to maintain control over the government and the people of Syria, his existence poses a clear and present danger to our national security and the national security of our allies. That being said, I think that if we go boots on the ground, full-on, like, D-Day invasion into Syria, then yes, I believe it is the responsibility of the president to get consent or at least advise Congress of said action. But to launch 59 cruise missiles at an air base to take out strategic infrastructure at said air base I don't think it needs the approval of Congress, nor should he be required to. There are certain actions well, that no, he can no, no. take no, as, the, the, as the, commander the advise, in chief. Advise and invite advice are, are two different things. And merely suggesting to inform Congress of such an event seems pretty straightforward in a democracy. And the gang of 10... I don't think that has ever leaked, as far as I know, and this includes some pretty significant national security events, many of which I'm sure we have never heard of. So telling the leadership in Congress that we are doing an action that if the Russians had chosen to respond by attacking the, the, the naval vessels in the Mediterranean – yeah, I kind of sort of wish the Speaker of the House and the Majority Leader and the Minority Leader in both the House and the Senate were aware of these actions to have the President's back, and not to mention the American people's back, and the families of the sailors who are in harm's way. This is not an inconsequential action. 
Dmitry Medvedev said that this could lead to World War III and going way back in time to when um, uh, the previous uh, president, whose name I said, prior to Putin. Um, You're talking about Boris Yeltsin? Boris Yeltsin suggested, and this was during the, the Bosnia campaign, simply said in a press conference, we have nuclear weapons too. In impulsive times when people can do some pretty impressive things, it would be nice to know there is more people at the table rather than just somebody who is offended. Mind you, I was offended too by the horrors of the gas attack on civilians in Syria. These consequences are much bigger than the few hundred or few thousand people on the ground. One person cannot be vested simply by themselves, including the President of the United States, with this kind of authority. But I mean, the reason you for... Then you cannot... There are times when the authority of the president as a commander-in-chief has to be utilized where he doesn't have time to gather the gang of eight or the gang of ten together and have them call and get sent or just to be advised. It's not strategically possible in certain instances. Why should he have his hands tied like that? This airbase was up and running again after less than a day. And what does that have to the, do with the price of tea in China? The question is, if the Russians have chosen to escalate, they did not, at least not, at least not to this moment, have not escalated beyond that. And thankfully for all of us, no Russians were killed in this missile attack. Yeah, but we're doing a pretty that good job. Said, we're doing a pretty good job of escalating it. I mean, we've got Secretary Tilson coming out on on press statements saying that the Russians were either complicit or ignorant of the fact that Al Assad had chemical weapons. I believe it was incompetent, not just ignorant. Um, but yes. And this is all true. But the whims of the President of the United States should not bind all of us. The War Powers Act has had a tension since its, it, since its creation. It has never been challenged to the Supreme Court as far as whether or not it is indeed constitutional. The ability to declare war is vested entirely in the U.S. Congress. And that's the use of military force, engaging in military engagements. This is the Gulf War One, the response to September 11th, even the Gulf of Tonkin resolution. This is vested in the U.S. Congress. The question is, in a non-nuclear, the tension has always been discussed in a nuclear response, in which case you have less than 20 minutes to respond when ICBMs leave their silos, the President of the United States is vested entirely in himself, which is why the nuclear football follows the President and Vice President. That is entirely why that exists. 
That tension has never been resolved. This tension, as far as the ability for entirely conventional warfare, and as far as I know, it was 72 hours for us to respond to the gas attacks in in Syria. It right. was not a a a a knee-jerk reaction. There was some thoughtful process in play. There is no reason a democracy can at least go through the process of informing other democratic leaders beyond the president. By the way, this president that was elected constitutionally by the Electoral College by a, a minority of the American people, this is why these checks and balances are in place. Well, I, it does Dan, not seem I, unreasonable to have made sure that other people who are elected directly by the people, unlike the president, who has the intermediary of the electoral Dan, college, has been, had others been, in play. And Dan, he has been entrusted with the office of the presidency. He's been entrusted with the authority given to him as commander-in-chief. Thusly, the people have elected him to serve as commander-in-chief and make tactical decisions such as the one he made without having his hands tied, having to go to Congress every time he wants to take a tactical maneuver. I, I would suggest, I would actively ask what was tactical about this attack. It was a very tactical. It was a very tactical. How? The How? air base was up and running in less than a day. How was it tactical? You know what's funny, Dan, is the Democrats on the Democrats in this instance want it both Democrats ways. Democrats have supported this response. The Democrats, wait, 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 wait. Clear. Democrats wait, wait, wait. have you wanted say, response, have wanted when, response more than Republicans, including Marco Rubio and many Republican national security leaders in the Senate who were opposed to any involvement by the United States Daniel? when Obama was in the White House. But Dan, you cannot tell me that there is a certain level of hypocrisy when we see the Democrats sit there and they are the ones saying, oh, my God, Donald Trump is going to bomb us into the next world war. And then when he takes a measured, thought out recommendation by his joint chiefs and his head of the Defense Department in Secretary Mattis, who is himself a former warfighter. Why is it that, you know, there's there's no winning if you're Trump on this situation? He's either so crazy he's going to blow us into oblivion in the dark ages, or he is so America first, he won't be able to see the force of the trees, and people are going to die. Innocent people will die. I'm entirely so okay to support your statement, as long as you're also saying – that the Republicans in both the House and the Senate that were utterly opposed to then-President Barack Obama taking action was going to get us into World War III, who are suddenly, by the president's use of force, now that it happens to be a Republican in the White House, then fine. That kind of, that kind of political duplicity is on both sides, but you have to be consistent. You can't have it one way or the other. I will say with clarity, and again, unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately, our, our colleague is not here to point out that 
I was actually in agreement with then-candidate Trump for saying I wanted no part of the Syrian exercise. And as you think, we, he was, was measured in his time. response. However, I do believe he should have, have at least informed Congress, which he failed to do. Oh, Ben, I think, I think now you're putting too much control into Congress and not allowing the commander to chief act within the powers that he's been granted by Congress and the U.S. Constitution. He is commander-in-chief. He does not have the power vested in himself to get us into he, World War III. He, he's not getting us into World War III. That's what I'm saying. That's the argument that the Democrats use all the time. He's going to he, – you know, they think that he is – This is Alex Jones. You can't say it's just Democrats. The, the, the Republican oh, wait, 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 no, no, First of all, first first all we're not quoting – First of all, we're not quoting in office we are not quoting action. a lunatic like Alex Jones. No, do not use Alex Jones as a as a quotable source. You can't on this show. This is Democrat. The people who the people who supported Donald Trump, including American nationalists such as the followers of the podcast radio host whose name we shall not mention, yeah. were some of the people who said, "I want no part of this Middle East thing." Those were Donald Trump supporters. These are the Steve Bannon folks. These are the folks that have, got, have lost their minds because the Trump administration has done this. It is not simply the left. And let me be clear, the left is not saying he should not have acted. Many people, including Adam Schiff, said that there was a response that was appropriate because of these chemical weapons attacks. However, that does not remove the president of his need and his constitutional requirement to at least inform Congress that he is doing said action. These are different things. Hey, all right. <laughs> I love dealing with Democrats when they go into full-on rhetoric. It's awesome. All right, Dan, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a break We're going because obviously we're going to – I wish Admiral Ken would call in. That This would have been a great topic for him. But seeing as how that's not the case, we're going to turn our sights back to uh, domestic policy stuff. What do you want to talk about? Healthcare bill and the loss or the governor of Alabama? Well, you know, I just kind of like how uh, some people look at some moments. And, you know, I appreciate having the state troopers to help me with my message. <laughs> we'll talk about we'll talk about healthcare when we come back. This is the best political talk show you've never heard of. It is Backroom Politics Live on Blog Talk Radio. We'll be back in three minutes. Stay with us. Thank you. 
Top of the hour for the best political talk show you've never heard of. It is Backroom Politics Live from Washington, D.C., a remote broadcast. I'm here on Capitol Hill. Dan is elsewhere about the District of Columbia, as he may be. Let's try Dan on the microphone again. Dan, you want to try this out again? Is that any better? It is tremendously better. Fantastic quality. Amazing what a reboot will do. Amazing. And I believe, hopefully... Admiral Ken, is that you? Yes, it is. It is. Joining us for the second hour of our show, as he does every Tuesday, he is the retired one-star admiral from your United States Navy. He is the man we know as Admiral Ken Carradine. Admiral Ken, how are you, sir? Uh, I'm well. Don't sound it. Yeah, well. A a a a a uh, a cable and internet provider who shall remain nameless for the show is the subject of my ire today. Oh, Ken, public shaming does a lot of help. That can't be good. Anyway, hey Admiral Ken, I do I do want to talk to you about the uh, one thing before we go forward. Uh, Dan and I were talking about the uh, missile attack on Syria in response to uh, uh, Bashar al-Assad's use of chemical weapons on a civilian population last week. Um, The use of cruise missiles, we've heard the response that Trump took is very tactical. Why are cruise missiles so effective as far as being a weapon that uh, you, 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 uh, the, the last part of your question cut out, Justin, if you could restate it, why are cruise missiles so effective? Why are cruise missiles so effective at getting other foreign leaders' attention when they're used on them? Well, I think probably because the, the level of accuracy, um, that they provide, uh, and in, in their, their, uh, their targeting um, says a lot about the fact that, you know, we're not looking to do um, mass um, destruction. We, we're, we're very, we're, we're very uh, directed, very uh, pinpoint what we're trying, what message we're trying to deliver. Um, 
you know, as you go back and you look at the battle damage assessment uh, video uh, nicely provided by Russian media, uh, it shows that we were very, very deliberate in the attack. And um, the fact that the, the airfield itself was still standing as well as a good number of the buildings shows that, look, you know, we were trying to send a message versus letting that message get uh, obscured by random death and destruction. All right, but Dan, it sounds like, going back to your point, the Trump administration was looking at this as a one-off. Does that make sense? I think it was a one-off, and I think it was appropriate in response. My beef is the failure to inform Congress prior to it occurring. Um, Admiral, I don't know. Admiral Ken, let me just jump in real quick. And I want to ask you, Dan and I had a long talk about the responsibility of Donald Trump to advise Congress that he was, in fact, taking this action. What is the reality in your view? Well, if, if he didn't, he should have. Uh, I think it's clearly why? Uh, why? Because yeah. the Constitution, because the Constitution basically states that if we're going to go to war, that it's got to uh, be through congressional action. Um, it's only only the only time that, that a president has the ability to uh, to conduct such an action is if uh, there is a, uh, a timely matter. Uh, that requires him to do something, and then even then, you still got to go back within a certain period of time. I want to say it's 60 days to justify what he did and to ask for broaden uh, broaden powers to do anything more. So, um, you know, I, I, I think that I, let me let me let me finish. I think that the further we get away from from that, um, broadens the ability for uh, a commander in chief. To act unilaterally, and I don't think that's a good place to be. I don't think it was a good place to be, you know, for President uh, either President uh, Bush's or uh, or Clinton uh, in, uh, in 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 their actions. Do you I feel love that people agree with me. <laughs> and again, do you feel that President Trump acted unilaterally in this, even though he sought consent from or he got the plan from? his planners at the Pentagon. He got this from his national security advisor, General McMaster. He got it from his secretary of defense and secretary, secretary Mattis. Well, why, again, why does, it, it why was, is it that we feel that the president, every time he makes a tactical decision on a, on a minor, I mean, use of force is never minor anytime it takes lives, but Let me interrupt that question real quick. You keep using the phrase tactical. Admiral Ken, can you say how this was a tactical response? Sure. Um, So so first, to answer Dan's question, um, it it is a tactical response in that um, it is is an action that is being uh, delivered by, by tactical forces. Uh, we have not yet seen uh, what the broader strategy is that describes how this tactical action will deliver the, um, 
um, the the outcomes that we, we the strategic outcomes that that we hope that it would. Uh, so back to uh, Justin's question, every example that you just uh, that you just uh, described where Trump talked to someone, were those were people within the executive uh, branch of the of, of the government, uh, not 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 the uh, not the legislative branch. And so again, um, in my in do I think he acted unilaterally? Uh, I think that um, that's that's probably too early to say. Again, if he hasn't gone, if he doesn't go back to Congress and talk about uh, what he did and why he did it, then yeah, the answer would be yeah, he acted unilaterally. If he does, then the answer is no. And but, any further wait, action wait, wait, that let's... he takes, but any further action that he would take would have to be authorized by Congress as required by the Constitution. What? Because that's what the Constitution says, Justin. We're declaring war. He is taking a tactical. He's taking a tactical measure, using using the amount of force that is authorized him as commander in chief. He is not taking acts. He is not declaring war. That is still up to Congress. That is still up to the Senate. With but no American people. Nor clear and obvious imminent American interests in play. Congress must speak. And, and the I'm, smart thing, the smart thing about this, the smart thing about this was the fact that he used cruise missiles. Now, in in the absence of being able to use cruise missiles, if he basically put American pilots in harm's way, then I think you would hear a, an even louder uproar because just. Just what do you think would have happened at one of those those um, uh, an aircraft carrying an American uh, aircrew had been shot down or, or had an engine failure, and then we'd be having a whole different discussion. And it's because of that specifically one of those reasons that he needs to be able to go back and talk to Congress and say this is what I did. If we're going to do any further, this is the broader strategy in which this action took place, and this is what we want to do to follow up on that to attain the goals and the outcomes that we think are best for the country. Actually, Admiral Ken, if I could follow up on that. If the Russians, or any Russian personnel, had been affected by the, the missile attack, the, the Russian air crews that were in Syria, they could have easily attacked the naval vessels that launched the Tomahawk cruise missiles, correct? I, 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 I probably flinched at the word easily, but I, I hear your point. Go ahead. Well, my point being is if any Russians had, had been dis- killed or er- any Russian assets destroyed in the attack, the Russians would not have been beyond their international law prerogative to respond appropriately against American forces. That is correct. All right. All right. Point made. Let's let's move on a little bit, but Admiral Ken, definitely always appreciate your insight into the use of military force. Uh, we'll keep an eye on this topic going and, forward. And let, can I, let me add one thing. Let me yeah, go ahead. Do I, do I have a problem with the attack? Absolutely, absolutely not. Do I think we should have done it? Uh, 
three or four years ago when President Obama drew the line in the sand and we didn't do anything about it? Yeah, we should have. Uh, do I think, you know, do I think that the images of men, women, and children dying from a chemical attack are awful? Uh, yes, I do. Do I think that there is an, uh, an, uh, 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 a national interest on the part of the United States? Uh, I'm not so sure, beyond the fact that we're supposed to be the moral leadership of the, of the world. Well, we're going to – I'm I mean, sure this is, is a chemical top- weapons ban treaty in play. So th- there is that question, but nonetheless, Congress can still speak as well as the president. Right. Well, we're going to keep an eye on the, we're going to keep an eye on this obviously and we'll bring this back up again, I'm sure. But we do want to talk about because it's been 2 weeks. Uh we are going to talk about uh a couple of things, but we do want to bring up the fact that although President Trump last week looked very presidential, acted as a commander in chief, kudos to him, apparently he cannot command a bill getting through Congress very well because the week before and what could have been just the biggest kick to the gut the administration has seen, House Republican leaders put up the repeal of the Affordable Care Act and the replacement bill, and it got shot down not only by Democrats, but by the Freedom Caucus, its own party. This is amazing. Dan Lipner, how big of a hit to the gut was this for the administration? It's huge. And it's to be seen whether or not this president and presidency can do anything that requires any complexity beyond allowing lead shot to be used on national lands that will kill bald eagles. This presidency has shown zero ability to get into the details and into the woods on any kind of detail. And the Freedom Caucus is not going to allow anything beyond laissez-faire healthcare capitalism to go forward. So it's going to have to require real movement for this presidency to to do anything on healthcare. But we'll see. Admiral Ken... Admiral Ken, this is not something new. It wasn't something that all of a sudden just popped up on the radar with Republicans. The Republicans had eight years. I'm sorry. They had six years to figure out how to repeal it and how to replace it with something that wouldn't get shot down like a World War II fighter plane. How is it that the Republicans miscalculated and did they miscalculate? how easy it would be or how hard it would be to repeal Obamacare. Well, I think part of the, of, of the, uh, the, the thing here is that um, I think that the Trump administration uh, got a, uh, an up-close and personal lesson in the difference between campaigning and governing. Governing is a lot harder. Um, you know, I, I, I love talking to, to young junior officers about what they're going to do when they get in command, and then once they get there, how things change, because it becomes a lot more complicated once you're sitting in the seat. So that's the first thing. The second thing is the Freedom Caucus, you know, they, 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 they want Obamacare repealed. They don't want to replace it with Obamacare light. And for all practical purposes, they saw the, the American Health Care Act as Obamacare light, 
and they flinch. They're, they're, they're holding true to what they believe their, their true, um, their true uh, commitments to their, to their constituents to be. And I, I, I applaud that. Um, I think that the other side of the coin is that, to Dan's point, um, I don't think that the administration really truly understood how difficult of a nut to crack this was. Matter of fact, their own words, we, this is a lot harder than we thought it was going to be. No kidding. Really? Holy cow. So, yeah, but Admiral, um, Ken, but Admiral Ken did, did in fact – Let's be clear. The phrase was, from the President of the United States, who knew health care could be this complicated? Okay. Okay. <laughs> I, got you. I got you on that. But here's the thing is, Admiral Ken and, and Dan, I'm going to pose the same question to you. Did the Republicans – did the Republicans drop the ball by not having something ready for prime time that they could have developed over the past six, seven years instead of scrambling the way they did, making them look foolish? I recall talking to many Republican friends and colleagues for the years since Obamacare passed, saying that there was something available and ready to go. Lo and behold, none of that was true. On top of that, with the president's promises that health care, the reform that he was going to put forward, was going to cover more people, was going to be less expensive and more effective than Obamacare. And the Ryan plan, mind you, the Obama, the, excuse me, the Trump administration wanted to make sure that his name was not attached to it, was going to cover 23, less, 23 million less people than what Obamacare currently covers. So, yeah, they dropped the ball at a minimum, if not were outright liars for the last six years. Wow. Okay, Dan, little so little demagoguery I, I, in that. I won't, I, won't, I won't go as far as Dan uh, in calling people liars. <laughs> What I will say is that the Republican Party really got used to being the party of no versus being the party with uh, co- contrary ideas on how to do things a little differently, and in the case of this, a lot better than what they saw uh, being put in front of them. It's a lot easier just to say no, 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 and to complain and, pardon my, my, my words, bitch about what's going on than it is to come up with a better idea on how to do it. They got used to doing that. And I think that, that the lack of leadership that, that basically afflicts the Democratic Party right now, a different version of that afflicts the Republican Party right now. I think both organizations are lost in the woods. Both of them have want of some leadership that's got some new, fresh, and better ideas that sound better than, no, we're not going to go and do that. You're seeing it right now with the Democratic Party. You know, they're saying, you know what, we're, we'll talk about anything except the repeal of Obamacare. Republican Party, we got to repeal Obamacare, but we don't have anything better to do it. You know what, both, a pox on both their houses right now. Wow. No, no, I reject that. I reject that. Democrats have said they will deal on the Trump infrastructure process or whatever money it needs to be spent on everything from roads to rail to to airports to Flint's water crisis. Democrats want a deal. 
The problem is Republicans have, in their rhetoric, have basically said government has no place and taxes are a pox on anything in democracy. And these things cost money. And Republicans have struggled for decades to try and figure out a way of getting things done that require money without wanting to tax for that money that needs to be spent. And that well, there's a reason for that, the Dan, and the reason for that is because guys like Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi want to give away every living cent that we have to, uh, to, to, to social programs. What they don't seem to understand is that there's a balance. There's a delicate balance to being able to take care of your neighbor at the same time to be able to protect them. I mean, I, I, I've heard nothing but uh, Schumer do nothing but complain about the president's budget with regard to wanting to uh, increase funding for the military. I'm sorry, but when you've got an entire fleet of aircraft that can't, that can't take off and do their mission, you've basically taken away too much. And my, my complaint, my, my issue here is that it all sounds well and good they want to do that, but when it, comes down to sitting, when it comes to sitting down at the table and working with the Republican colleagues, Chuck Schumer can't stay away from the camera to tell them how bad the Republicans are and how they just don't want to do anything except take, take, take. And you, I mean, well, you, go back and watch the who, tape. Who, who, listen, who, who listen to the show, let me be clear. If you receive a paycheck as an employee, the payroll, <coughs> the payroll deduction segment out your federal withholding and then segregate Medicare and Social Security as separate things. The tax withholding from the federal government, one half, actually more than that, but one half of every dollar that is deducted from your paycheck for the federal government goes to defense. I no, agree with Admiral Ken. That is not I agree true. with that Admiral Ken true, that we that need not people, true. but you got to go. That is not that, No, no, Dan, 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 I am not going to let that, no, Dan, I'm not going to let that stand. Where did you get that fact? That is categorically untrue. 50 cents out of every dollar fact? goes to DOD. Oh, wait a minute. Where did you get that? Cite your facts. Ken, I've showed Are you, you these numbers in person in the past. Hold Dan, on. No, no, true. no. That now of each dollar going to military. Okay, you see, I, I, I just, I, I, I'm not, I'm not buying that, that number. But That's anyway, true. anyway, but but here's the thing is, Dan, you have to admit, okay, Medicare, you Social Security, Social. Pay for themselves. Every other dollar, fifty cents of every dollar goes to DOD. Oh my God! I, I Justin. Yeah. I'll, you, you, we'll deal with that anyway. Anyway, Dan's entitled to his opinion. So anyway, Dan, I do want to go into something that Admiral Ken touched on, and that is the situation with Chuck Schumer. Does. Is Chuck Schumer really helping out the Democrats' cause right now by being the senator of no, i.e., uh, you know, not being happy with Democrats who voted for Judge Gorsuch 
to become the now ninth Supreme Court justice. Uh, is he not helping by throwing out the demagoguery during the health care debate? Is Chuck Schumer doing more damage to the Democrats than they need? Dan? Who, who are you asking? Dan, you. No. The, the, as far as the health care thing is, you couldn't get a 51% majority out of the House for the Ryan Trump health response. The Gorsuch issue had more to do with Merrick Garland never getting a vote um, and much to Alan Moore's uh, complaint. If the Republicans wanted to vote no on Merrick Garland, fine. At least the American public would have been able to see the debate and the, and the senators would have had to respond for the reason to vote no. What occurred with Merrick Garland was inexcusable. And that's what it caused the nuclear option. So you can't blame this on the Democrats. Okay, Errol Ken. I, I, again, I, I made my comments regard, regarding Senator Schumer. Uh, I don't, I don't see that this was a good place for the Democrats to make their stand. My, 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 my big, my long-term fear is that exercise of the nuclear option will, will reach into legislation uh, because the two parties can't seem to find a way. To sit down and talk to one another uh, for the good of the country, and my fear is that if that becomes the case, at some point the pendulum people aren't people in in favor of thinking that that the Republicans exercising the nuclear option was a good thing. Well, you know, elections in this country happen every two years, and I have got no reason to believe that the midterms uh, this time around are going to, uh, you know, dramatically change the balance of power in the, in the, in the, the, the House and the Senate. But at some point, right. it will. And, and then, yeah. then we're, going to be looking, we're, going to be, we're going to be looking back on last week thinking, holy crap, we shouldn't have done that. Dan, I, I want to bring up uh, Judge, Judge uh, Justice now, Gorsuch, uh, real quickly. Did, did the Democrats shoot themselves in the foot by being so anti-Gorsuch? That's hard to say. So I've actually read a few of now Justice Gorsuch's opinions, and he makes me nervous as being more dangerously conservative than Scalia. Scalia actually had a few positions that I could easily defend as a progressive and as a believer in the Constitution. The Confrontation Clause, the speech issues, even though his money was speech, speech was a challenging argument. Gorsuch, and this was from his hearing, suggested that there was nothing that required to make speech public, meaning who is funding speech had to be disclosed. Justice Scalia said that for, and this is a citizen, Citizens United thing, that yes, money is speech, 
but you couldn't hide who it was from. Justice Gorsuch has suggested that's not the case. And dark money in politics, in political speech, can be a little scary and a little dangerous. And this actually goes into this last election cycle with what happened with the Russian interference. If you don't know who's saying what, it makes it a little dangerous. And Justice Gorsuch seems not to be bothered. But it seems to me, Dan, that the Democrats could have made a better choice in picking a battle to go head-to-head with the Republicans over. Because even talking to some Democrats, they actually have respect and, and actually like Judge Gorsuch. Without question. And I said this on the air uh, last time we had a show with Alan Moore. I said mm-hmm. Justice Gorsuch was qualified. I disagree profoundly as a matter of law with some of his positions. But Judge but Gorsuch, Dan, Dan Judge Gorsuch, at play, it's, it, it's more than a little bit challenging. But Dan, Justice Gorsuch is not somebody who is given the impression he legislates from the bench. He is not a person that has pontificated political policy from the bench. It no, seems no, I'm not to giving me that, that one up. I'm not giving that one up. Why? Pontificating in political policy, and this is the frozen trucker case that uh, Senator Franken made a lot of noise about during the hearing. He acted, within the, he acted within the confines of the law. He ruled in the confines uh, of the law. That's a little bit more challenging. If you actually read the fact pattern and the law that protected the trucker, basically the only way he, the trucker could have preserved his job was to have frozen to death while guarding his payload. The law suggested that is not true. But Garland's opinion crowbarred in a position that was more than a little bit challenging with the facts. And at an appellate court, including the Supreme Court, when you're doing that with the facts, you get some challenging decisions. So I understand why that's why the Democrats grab hold of that, because it really pulls the heartstrings of working people. But Gorsuch's opinion as a matter of law means there's a little bit more at play that he was trying to make a legal political position known. And I find that troubling. Dan, uh, Admiral Ken? Um, I think, I think the Democrats, um, again, I think the Democrats stand against, uh, Judge Gorsuch's, um, attention to the Supreme Court was a misfire. They should have picked a different thing to have a fight over. And I think they did themselves a disservice and to a great extent, I think they did the Congress and the country a disservice. Actually, can I follow up with one additional point? Go ahead. Lindsey Graham, who I tend to be at a big fan of, said we're not going to have different rules for Republican presidents getting their nominees appointed to the bench than we are for Democratic appointees. Unfortunately, everything that we have said about Justice Gorsuch was also true 
about Merrick Garland. And that's where the challenge lies. It is actually the different standard for Democratic appointees I, versus Republican appointees. That's and, and the, the Democrats and, and, and Dan, we could argue that the Democrats did it against Ronald Reagan back in eighty three. That you know, we could bring up Judge what, Bork. Justice Scalia was appointed? No, 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 no. Are you there, kidding me? We, we could bring up Judge Bork. Yeah, Justice Bork got a vote. Merrick Garland got no hearings. Yeah. And by I the will way, tell you, to support my previous statement about the federal budget, I would direct our listeners to nationalpriorities.org, mandatory and discretionary spending. Has a very good hey, listing hey, explaining hey, the budget, where the military Dan, spending is versus other discretionary spending. Dan, Justin, do you really want to go into Politifacts right now? Because right now Justin, I'm looking at Politifacts. Just to let me, just to let me. So, okay. listeners, Politifacts.com. There's a pie chart floating around the the internet that gives an erroneous presentation of federal budget spending. It states, to Dan's point, that the federal government spends 57% of every dollar on military on military. Uh, uh, on the military, that is that is that. Hold on, that is that is that is not true. The actual number is sixteen percent. While health and human services, I'm looking at the same chart, Admiral Ken. Twenty-eight and twenty-five percent respectively. For health, okay, okay. Here's what we're going to do. We can, the question is, I'll tell you what. The I will make this discretionary guys, spending guys, versus mandatory guys, spending. Dan, Dan, I'll, I will make this a topic next week in the last half hour. We, you guys, do your research. We will come back. We will do research on it. What's that? We're talking about the same research. Discretionary spending versus mandatory spending. We're moving on. Dan, we're going to pay holding is a different item. Daniel, we're moving on. We're going to talk about something much more entertaining, like the governor of Alabama. When we come back, we're going to talk about (laughs) the governor of Alabama resigning. Apparently, when you stoop your staffers and you use campaign funds some people in alabama the crimson tide state don't appreciate that we'll be back in three minutes this is the best political talk show you've never heard of this is backroom politics live on blog talk radio we will be back in three minutes stay with us Thank you. 
And we're back here live from Washington, D.C. This is the best political talk show you've never heard of. It is Backroom Politics, live on Blog Talk Radio. Joining me as they do every Tuesday, he is the former one-star, or he is the retired one-star admiral from your United States Navy. He's the man we know as Admiral Ken, Admiral Ken Carradine. Hello. And joining me as he has all afternoon, he is the longtime Washington political Democratic operative who is also a bar-certified attorney in the great state of Maryland and the District of Columbia. He is the Washington political mind we know as Dan Lipner Esquire. Hello, Daniel. Daniel? Oh, we lost Daniel. Wait a minute. Daniel, are you there? One last time. Daniel, are you there? I am here. Wow. Lost you for a second. Anyway. Yeah, I, I could hear nothing during the break. Oh, wow. Okay. Oh, that's because I had you on uh, monitor. That's why. Hey, we are going to talk about, believe it or not, okay, while you were sleeping, um, just a little thing happening down in the great state of Alabama, or as Admiral Ken calls it, home. Uh, (laughs) We go Dateline, Birmingham, where... Alabama Governor Robert Bentley, the Republican of such ilk, has resigned his office uh, yesterday after years of allegations about how he used to have an affair with a top aide using public money and resources. Uh, Apparently, an ethics report came out from the state legislature, which pretty much caught him with his hand in the proverbial cookie jar or insert joke here. Uh, that being I'll said, we need to be a little bit more specific on that. Okay, so we will. Both we'll, get we'll get into that. We'll get into that. Hold on. Okay, let's, let's get into that. Um, he used campaign he, funds to cover it up as well as using state resources, state troopers, and other government operatives to yeah. try and suppress the scandal. So this right. wasn't him simply having an affair. This was the abuse was of power associated with it. Right. Well, in his resignation announcement at the state capitol, Governor Bentley, who up until 48 hours prior said he would never resign, said in his resignation announcement, I love the people of this state with all my heart. And apparently <laughs> loves a couple of staffers with more than his heart. So here's the question. Here's the question for you. Um, Dan... This is a Republican governor. Why is it that Democratic that Democrats get caught in money scandals and Republicans get caught in genital scandals? Well, for starters, the hypocrisy is part of it. Um, the we're talking about Christian Robert Wright. Bentley's a good family man. Yeah, that would be the hypocrisy part. Um, (laughs) Proclaiming that Jesus is your savior And I would never do anything wrong See my Attendance at church In the front row And I love Jesus more than anyone else And I would never do such a thing And that's why you should vote for me Yeah Yeah. That's why they get caught for that kind of garbage But am am I incorrect Are, Are there more scandals Involving the boudoir with Republicans Than there are with Democrats Democrats just get caught with cash in their bras, their toilet bowls, and their freezers. No, no. Republicans get caught with that, too. Uh, Like who? Was it Duncan Hunter going to jail for just such a thing? 
No, so, he's not going to jail. He's no, 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 no. Let's be clear. I, I, I don't want to get sued. There is an investigation ongoing regarding Congressman Hunter, Chairman Hunter, but he has not been convicted of anything. Justin, I think he admitted to something, but I'll, I'll defer no. to you. Anyway, yes, yes, no, Admiral Cash. The money thing is bipartisan. The personal dalliances thing, the hypocrisy at play, is really what is what we're dealing with. That I am pure the driven snow, and I would never do such a thing. Is well, mind you, there's a Hutchinson in Arkansas that also is caught up in that kind of mess. Just so, Admiral Ken, go ahead. With with the exception of Bill Clinton, people just find this, us Republicans just sexier people. It's just it. <laughs> Dan, make love Dan. and free policy. Laissez-faire everything. That's the Republican Party. <laughs> well, hey, you know what? I mean, Governor Bentley did say he loves he, – I love the people of this state with all my heart and I mean, other Mark body parts. Sanford, Mark Sanford from, from South Carolina. I mean, the list goes on and on. And, you know – there's got to be some there there. We're just sexy people. What can I say? Yeah, okay. Yeah, I mean, but Dan, you know. Regardless of family and anything else. <laughs> so here's the thing is, up until the moment he resigned, and Admiral Ken, I'm going to go to you on this because this is your governor. Up until <laughs> the moment he resigned, Governor Bentley denied that he had done anything that should that should make him resign. And he never even really kind of scoped up the fact that he was in a, in a, uh, in an affair. He never said that he was in an affair, never fully admitted it. Even after secret phone taps of him professing his undying love for Rebecca, whoever Rebecca is still unknown. Lust. Let's not complete the two. <laughs> uh, Admiral Ken, What's your question? I, I don't know. I just had to read. I just had to read that part. It was just so good. This is Admiral Ken. You would think that a governor in today's social media if you have would not understand. Heard the tapes? Listen. Find oh. them on YouTube. I promise they are available. They are creepy and horrible. The, the what? The Governor Bentley tapes? I yeah, am. Yeah. I'm looking. Yeah. I'm looking for them right now. The Governor Bentley so, tapes are horrible? So, what, Justin, what's your question, please? An old man saying I can walk up behind you and grab you in certain ah, places? Ah, family show, family show, family show. Um, Admiral Ken, my question is, how, how did you elect this guy governor? So, first of all, I, I, am, not a, I, am, I am not a voting um, uh, Alabama citizen. I, am, I was born there. And my, some of my relatives will tell you that I ran at 18 and I haven't quit running yet. Um, but uh, the, the fact of the matter is, um, I think the question you were going to ask me it was, was how, how does the governor in today's social media think that he was going get, to get past all this? Um, so interesting fact, Governor Bentley, at the point at which uh, the affair first became public, which was about 18 to 24 months ago, actually, because this has been going on for a while. Um, 
was had been married to, to his, his former wife for 50 years. 50 right. years. So this is not a young man, okay, by any stretch of imagination. Apparently, he still got a young man sparked toward love, but again, not a young man. So his understanding and appreciation of what social media can do for, and to his, in, in his case, do to him, I think might have been missing. And rather than talk to his staffers about how to use it more effectively, he was doing other things, uh, talking to his other staff about other things. Um, the, the fact of the matter is, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's something that, that my relatives and my friends back, back in the home state um, are, 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 are probably, I know, are, are, uh, are carrying some shame over. Uh, I sent a couple of uh, text messages to some folks last night, and, uh, specifically my, my younger brother, and I got a real, real uh, um, adult response that made me feel like my younger brother should have been my older brother. <laughs> he didn't wow. appreciate it. <laughs> so here, here's, I don't know if you can pick this up, but here is, here is a, an excerpt from the recording. Just as video required for this? Hold on. Uh, Got sorry, I have not been able to call. Uh, I said uh, something along the line of uh, how much time or something like that. I'm sorry, I've not had too much of that. That's really bad audio. That's really bad radio. But that said, let let, let, let me engage this a little bit further. So Mark Stanford, with his walk through the Appalachian Trail, with his South American mistress, did not do what this governor did. This level of criminality that's a different beast. I don't know. I don't record. think it's any places for the for record, Dan. The American public or anyone else to get involved with any people's personal life. Dan, it's for the record. when you actually involve your public office in these issues and the money that is spent to elect you to office, that's when right. I think we care. Dan, for the record, the uh, as of yesterday, as of Monday, Governor Bentley has in fact uh, pled guilty on two misdemeanor charges, including the misdemeanor charge in the great state of Alabama of, um, let's see, what was it? Uh, it was pled guilty to two misdemeanor charges, according to the Washington Post, related to covering up the alleged affair, one for failing to file a major contribution report, and another for knowingly using campaign contributions for personal use. And that is according to the Washington Post by way of the Alabama Attorney General. Um, yeah, let's see if Jeff Sessions gets involved with any federal crimes that may evolve this. <laughs> So again, this has got to make you uh, pretty uh, pretty proud, there, Roll Tide Admiral. Well, um, again, um, I, I think that 
the the stakes probably carrying some level of shame on this one. In addition to losing the uh, the national championship, um, two, I'm an Auburn guy, so just to be clear. Uh, <laughs> but uh, in, in all seriousness, um, I I think it, it really kind of goes back to teaching that lesson that that politicians, some politicians. Uh, don't seem to understand when they take office, and that's that hubris. Judge not let he be judged. Hubris will get you in trouble every time, <laughs> and you know, and, and and there's a reason. There's a reason that the rules are in place, and if you don't adhere to them, uh, bad things will come to you. And I think uh, anybody that's in public office, uh, anyone that's even contemplating public office, needs to look at the examples of Mark Sanford and Governor Bentley. And, and, and to even to a lesser extent of uh, President Clinton. Well, there's, there's... I think we should get into this a little bit further. Mark Sanford did not abuse his position in this same yes, way. Yes, he did. I'm not yes, defending he did, Dan. Dan, but I'm saying Dan, that yes, it did. doesn't involve the same kind of legal abuse. A, statement, a false statement. He did. He told his office to put out a false statement. He lied. He put his, he put his office... His, his public spokesman in the position of telling a lie that he was walking the Appalachian Trail when nothing could hey, be further than the truth. Hey, Admiral, Admiral, Trump does that to Sean Spicer every day. Well, and that's, that's, and that's a story that continues to unfold daily now, doesn't it? <laughs> which, 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 finish your thought, Admiral, and then we'll go into it. No, I'm good. I'm done. You know, well, where are you all going? right. Well, happy trails to Governor Robert Julian Bentley, uh, the now former governor of the great state of Alabama. Uh, the Appalachian wow. Trail would have been a happier hike. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, with that, it's time for my favorite part of the show. It is time for What Did We Miss? Uh, where we talk about stories that we did not cover. And boy, there were a, cover, a couple of them that we didn't. Uh, I'm going to I am going to start off on something that actually developed today. Uh, press spokesman for the White House, Sean Spicer, uh, I think was not thinking it all the way through when he made the comment today that, well, even Hitler didn't use chemical weapons during World War II. Well, that has started a backlash. That... The hysterical laughing that you hear is our is our attorney and democratic political pundit and resident man of the tribe, Jewish, not Native American. Uh, he is Dan Lipner. Dan Lipner, why why do you laugh so hysterically at that? I don't know. The gas chambers the gas was oh. something. I don't think oh. it was tobacco. Oh, there's but that. that okay. Oh, okay. There, well, there's, 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 yeah. There's going to be some, there's going to be some fallout from that, but that we didn't cover that. But Sean, uh, well, I feel, I know, I know where he was trying to go, just poorly executed. Anyway, three things you should never do: one, stay away from negative stories; two, leave the jokes to the comedians; and three. Never he talk about Hitler in the Holocaust. Trump. Never talk about Hitler in the Holocaust. What? I said the third thing is never be press secretary for Donald Trump. 
Well, yeah, that too. That would be fourth. Anyway, that being the case, we didn't cover that. Admiral Ken, what didn't we cover this week? Well, so the uh, the murder of Seth Rich continues to be un, un, uh, unsolved in, here in the district. So in case you don't know who Seth Rich was, he was a Democratic staffer who was uh, killed execution style in the Bloomingdale neighborhood of Washington, D.C. last July. Now, what makes uh, Seth Rich's murder um, interesting beyond the fact that, you know, it's, it's, a, it's yet another uh, gun death here in the United States is that Seth Rich was a Democratic staffer, and he was the data guy for the Democratic Party. And with all of the intrigue around WikiLeaks and the Russians um, and the fact that you know, some of the best forensic detective work has yet to, un- to even cough up one suspect, I think this whole story has gone underreported in the, in the major media, and I think it bears you know, some serious look at uh, looking at from uh, from from, uh, from from just about everyone. Very good. Is, is if you if you have you inquired into the Metropolitan Police Department as to any leads? Uh, I made a phone call a few weeks ago, uh, and interestingly, that day they came out with the fact that the that the, the, the parents, uh, this young man's parents, had uh, uh, put up a reward. And that no one had uh, been able to uh, to claim any kind of uh, uh, claim any of the money for for information or anything else leading to uh, right to, to, to uh, suspect. Dan, Dan Lipner, what did we miss this week? Wow, aside from that conspiracy theory, Alex Jones esque, uh, we're not following enough. Um, I'm going to go with the Justice Department beginning to muck around with the consent decrees to mu- for the federal government to get involved with local police departments abusing uh, due process and people's civil rights. Um, in a lot of cases, the federal government was actually invited in by local governments because police departments had gotten a little out of hand. And the current attorney general has suggested that the federal government should not get involved with this. This is inexplicably political to me um, and not good. I can understand not going forward, but we should be paying a lot more attention to when the federal government does not get involved to making sure that, that people's civil rights are protected. Ah, very good. Well, uh, we, we didn't get to a lot of stories, but we will continue to do our best to cover as much as we can. Uh, next week, we will be live. We will be live from uh, National Press Club in Washington, downtown Washington, D.C. Uh, we are live we right be... now. It's not in person. What's that? We are live at the moment. Oh, we're just not in person at the National Press Club. That too is true. But we will be we will be broadcasting from the National Press Club next week. But on behalf of Admiral Ken Carradine and Ken, and uh, Dan Lipner Esquire, I am your host and moderator, Justin Russell. We will be back next week on Blog Talk Radio, where you can hear the best political talk show you've never heard of backroom politics every Tuesday, 4 PM Eastern time. You can follow us on Twitter at backroom politics. You can follow our comments on our partners at sidewire. 
Go to sidewire.com or download Sidewire, the app from your iTunes or Google Play Store. And as always, you can email your thoughts, concerns to Justin at backroompolitics.org. Have a great week, America. We will see you next week. And remember, stay active in the political process. This crazy stuff doesn't happen if you keep an eye on how you're governed. Have a great week. Bye-bye. Yeah, we are still the place to be. That too is true. We'll bring back Bob. This is Backroom Politics.